This is One North Stories. Our goal here is quite simple. We provide hyper-local, brand-based storytelling at the intersection of science, technology, and business here in Singapore with a global perspective. We are starting with a launch series focused on technology startups, and then plan to take the podcast broader, telling our stories, your stories, about the Singapore deep tech ecosystem. Whether you work as a venture capitalist on Sand Hill Road or in Southeast Asia, already doing R&D in Singapore, or perhaps a student dreaming big about technology, or someone in between. Join us to learn about the exciting technology being developed in our labs in Singapore, their translation journeys to market, and the inspirational people coming together to make yesterday's dream reality. If you have future episode ideas, segment ideas, or want to partner with us on this exciting journey, please get in touch. Our contact details are in the show notes. These are our stories. We hope they inspire you to create your own. And now, on to the show. The real estate sector uses about 40% of the world's energy. And so every project we do has an impact on making the world more sustainable. We needed to have a better data acquisition tool, high quality data that you can feed into machine learning models to be able to do cutting edge things at the software layer. On the international stage, I want Amplotech to be known as a great kind of digital industrial company in Southeast Asia. And I hope that we can be part of a new generation of global technology companies that are known as coming from Singapore and Southeast Asia and recognized as a high quality brand. For this launch episode, I've sat down with Will Temple from Amplotech, a Singapore startup bringing energy intelligence to the edge. We discuss his background prior to Amplotech, seeing value in technology, developing spin-out plans while still within a research center, his initial grant funding, bootstrapping for three years, and then the correct timing to look for outside investment. Will shares about their evolving business model as the company, technology, product offerings, and customer knowledge matures. Will ends by sharing the company ambitions of Amplotech to become a great digital industrial company on a global stage. And now, on to the interview. Hello, welcome to One More Stories. I'm here today at a special, special place. We're here at Fusion World at Fusionopolis One. I'm actually at the Amplotech exhibit. And we're here with Will Temple, the founder, co-founder, CEO of Amplotech, to listen to his founding story and figure out what's going on. Will, welcome to One More Stories. Thank you so much for having me. Let's get right into it. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, your early interests in science and technology, maybe a bit of education, and then your experiences prior to Amplotech? Sure. So I think the, the listeners can tell that I'm not originally from Singapore. I grew up in the U.S., just outside of Washington, D.C., and I was always into building things. So I played with a ton of Legos as a kid, always looking to kind of create and just design new things. So that led me to an engineering career path. So I, I did my undergraduate and my master's degree in mechanical engineering. And I also crossed over into focusing on the power grid and sort of the integration of renewable energy and electric vehicles to look from sort of a systems perspective at how the engineering of the energy transition away from fossil fuels into sustainable energy would actually happen. So that was in the U.S. And I decided that I wanted to come and have some international work experience. And Singapore was a place that I visited before, and it seemed like a nice place to be. So I thought, okay, I'll go to Singapore, maybe spend a few years, and then come home and just continue from there. But obviously, it didn't turn out that way. That was in 2011 that I came out, and 
uh, yeah, I'm really fortunate to have kind of found a second home here in Singapore. Okay, so that was what, 12 years ago now or, or so that, that you came out? Yeah, that's right. So when, when you first came out, you, you weren't here at Ampletech, you weren't starting Ampletech yet. What brought you to Singapore to start? Well, I, I knew some people here from college. My wife actually is from here and we met in college. So that was part of the decision making as well. But when I first came out here, I was literally just looking for jobs in the newspaper. Like I came on a tourist <laughs> visa and I ended up getting a job as a HVAC design engineer. So basically for a new construction project, like designing where the ducting will go and selecting the air conditioning equipment. And then all of those drawings would get passed to the contractor to actually build the project. So that was kind of my first exposure to the building space, which is what we work on with Ampotech. But after spending a year there, I decided that I wanted to shift back to more of a research and development and technology-focused job. So that's what led me to the Advanced Digital Sciences Center, which was a research center that was set up by the University of Illinois and ASTAR. So that, that was really the starting point for, for me with Ampotech because we are a spinoff from that research center. But yeah, that, that kind of gave me the, the combination of application understanding from that first job, plus obviously the work I did as a student and also with the research center that kind of built the foundation for what we're doing today. Okay, so building the foundation, what is that foundation, let's say? What were you doing at the, the research center that, that kind of then spurred you to, to start up Ampletech? Sure, so the research center, when I joined, they had a smart grid program, so they were doing demand response, energy efficiency, as well as cybersecurity for sort of operational technology and power grid systems. So I came in and I was working a little bit on both sides, but primarily on sort of the energy management side of things, so doing research into sensor networks for buildings, different electricity pricing schemes. It was all about how you make the demand side of the power system more flexible and responsive to optimize it. So after a couple of years, that whole line of work sort of ended and, and the focus of the center shifted more to the cybersecurity side. And so I was really interested in kind of the former area and I didn't want to just let all of that expertise and that technology that we were developing go to waste. So I spoke with a couple of my colleagues and, and we saw a lot of potential in this area, particularly in Southeast Asia, where there wasn't a whole lot happening in that industry yet. This was around 2012, 2013. And so we decided to spin off a company to try to commercialize some of the work that we had done and, and be an early mover, hopefully, in the smart building space in Southeast Asia. Okay, so you founded Ampotech. So I assume that the name is pretty straightforward, Amperage and Technology. Yeah, that, that's the idea, all about using technology to optimize energy and make energy more sustainable. Okay, that's great. Making energy more sustainable. So you, you, you mentioned the, the shift in the research center was, or the focus of the research center was shifting a little bit. You wanted to, to continue and pursue. So you founded in 2015. Maybe share a little bit of your founding story with us, maybe starting with the base technology that you had in 2015 and then up till today. So I'll take it back even a little bit further than that. Okay. So I always knew that I wanted to work sort of at the intersection of business and technology. I didn't want to be a purely technical person. And when I was younger, I thought that that would be something like being an R&D manager or a product manager at a technology company, maybe. But my dad actually has his own business and has had it for basically my whole life. And so I guess there is a little bit of entrepreneurial streak in the family in that sense. And so I just saw an opportunity that aligned with my own interests, my own kind of knowledge. And it seemed like a timely opportunity with the, the changes that were happening. So the way that we prepared for that, I actually started kind of the spinoff process in 2014. I did a sort of a startup boot camp kind of program to understand what venture capital and venture backed startups are all about, helped to build my network. 
And then we actually did the spinoff in 2015 after we had secured a grant to help us get the company off the ground. Could you tell us what, what boot camp did you go through? Was it an A-Star one or someone else's? This was, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was a program by iAxel, which used to be the incubation arm of Ascendus. And okay. it was a program they ran with Garage Technology Ventures, which was from Silicon Valley. Uh, so they did only a couple of cycles of this back in 2014. And I was very fortunate that the ADSC management agreed to kind of sponsor me for this or, or let me take that program. And that kind of helped me understand what I would be in for taking this journey. Yeah. So Ascendus being the, like the, the, property, the, the, the property company. Yeah. So just curious, was it all focused on like building technologies and property technologies or just... I've, no, it was actually general, complete, so general completely camp, general. Yeah. But obviously in the back of my mind, Ascendus yeah. as a real estate <laughs> company, that was part of the appeal as well. Yeah. Okay. And they were actually our first customer. Ascendus oh. was our first customer. Okay, great. So you got the grant and then you guys decided to, I mean, already decided about the grant then, then yeah. started the company. Yeah. So we, we got our first grant from the Building and Construction Authority, which yeah. BCA, which is the agency in charge of basically the property sector and the regulations around building energy efficiency. So we had worked with their team when I was at ADSC doing some grant funded work with ADSC. So we already sort of had the connections with the agency and they had a separate grant scheme that was focused on proof of concepts for companies. So we felt like that was a good match for licensing kind of a immature technology and then raising the TRL and validating it so that we could launch the product. So that's what we did. Okay. Do you, do you remember what was the, what would you classify the TRL when you guys left? I don't know the number off the top of my head, but we basically had a working tabletop prototype and okay. that had been tested kind of in the office, but it wasn't really commercially ready at all. So you had this technology, not, not commercially ready, but you've then brought it and you, you've, you've launched products and multiple products, multiple lines. Could you talk a little bit, you know, so there's this early grant, but then it's, it's been a while. So what else in, in, let's say the Singapore ecosystem has, you know, prompted you to help you build Amplitech or maybe didn't help you build Amplitech? I think the, the ecosystem here has been really supportive for, from our point of view because we, we did get the grant funding from BCA, which enabled us to start the business. I think yeah. if we didn't have that funding, we wouldn't be here today. And we also got funding at our seed stage from Enterprise Singapore, the, the Seeds Capital Fund. Yeah. And they do a great job of promoting and encouraging deep tech investment. I think, I don't know the percentage, but I would guess that maybe half or more of the, the deep tech deals that you see in Singapore are a result of their co-investment activities and, and the network they built with investment partners. Okay. And then let's say, well, investment partners. So then you've got the grant money. When, when did your investors, or let's say first investors come in? How did that go? So we started in 2015 and we actually bootstrapped for about three years with the okay. grant funding and with our own money to support. And we finally launched our product in 2018, uh, early that year. And within a few months, we had an angel investment from Persetia Dudarma, which is an Indonesian family office. Their main business is building cell phone towers and doing other infrastructure or building work. But they're also very active in early stage investment. And they've invested in quite a few high profile startups in the region in the last 10 years or so. Um, so that was really important for us. And then a few months after we had that, we raised the seed round okay. in early 2019. And that was with Silicon Solution Ventures and Seeds Capital. Okay. So just you, you had three years of bootstrapping. That's great. What made you, let's say, want or need to, to then go find the outside investment? Was it you needed it for your growth or just a little bit through that thought process? On yeah. Well, I, I think because we do have a, a hardware element to the business, we really needed outside investment because we just wouldn't have been able to manage the costs of 
going to mass production okay. and certifying product and, and all of that without having those resources. And and we also needed to grow the, the team beyond a couple of founders and have more people involved with product development and project delivery and, and that kind of thing. Okay. How many employees? So you're talking about growth. How, how many employees do you guys have right now? Yeah, it varies a little bit. But yeah, right now we're five and we're hiring actively for a number of positions. Um, so most of our staff are technical. We, we try to keep a pretty technical team because we find that strong product capability is one of our differentiators as a business. We do in-house hardware design, firmware, software. But in our next phase with the fresh funding that we're bringing in, we are going to be growing the business development and the operations side as well as we look to grow into new markets internationally. Okay. So with these five people, are you doing like, say, the manufacturing and assembly yourself of your devices or is, let's say, your devices are fully outsourced? No, the, the manufacturing is outsourced to a contract manufacturer. Okay. And they ship you your locks? Yeah, or, so they follow our QA process and then they ship us the boxes. We do our, our own QA and then, yeah, we, we ship the devices to the end customer. Okay, so speaking of the devices, that's kind of where your technology lies. I mean, we, we go on your website and it's, it's branded the Ample Hub and the Ample Cloud. Can you introduce us to, to these technologies that, that you've developed and continue developing for the smart building ecosystem? Sure, so our company is essentially uh, Internet of Things and AI for energy management in, okay. in buildings. The real estate sector uses about 40% of the world's energy, if you look at the, the macro numbers. And there's a, a huge sort of underserved segment, which is the existing small and mid-sized building segment. So if you're, if you're building a new project today in, in the central business district, you're probably going to have state-of-the-art building management systems, sensors, because these are high-end grade A real estate projects. But if you look at maybe something under 20,000 square meters or maybe a 10-story building that's more in the fringe, typically you're not going to have a lot of intelligence in that, that building and, and you're going to find quite a bit of energy waste. So what we wanted to do is develop a very easy to retrofit, low-cost system to monitor all the key equipment and things happening in a building and then identify energy waste, benchmark the building, and then also detect faults with different equipment and different processes if it's an industrial site. So to do that, it's all about collecting data, managing it, and then deriving value from it. But we felt like we needed to have a better data acquisition tool. And that's what led us to developing our own hardware because we weren't happy with the cost, the, the complexity of installation and integration, and some of the other things that you find with off-the-shelf products. So we designed our Ampo Hub product to be wireless, to be installable within a few minutes, and to be able to collect really high frequency data from, you know, we're talking second or sub-second instead of five minute, 15 minute. And having that quality of data helps you do a lot of interesting things with predictive maintenance, fault detection, and, and really having high quality data that you can feed into machine learning models to be able to do cutting edge things at the software layer. So when we started the business, we, we actually planned to sell our system as kind of a standalone thing with, with both the hardware and the software. And, you know, interestingly, the way it's developed over the years is that a lot of larger enterprises in the energy services and utility space actually value that data stream as well. And yeah. so we have kind of an enterprise segment to our business where we just run a middleware. And essentially, larger energy companies will use our devices, they'll access our data through our API, and then they'll integrate it with their own IoT platforms, data lakes, whatever they're, they're running. So that's kind of the enterprise side of our business today. And then we also have sort of a small and medium enterprise offering where we actually do it end to end with our own dashboard and we can integrate different types of sensors and meters as well as our own. Okay. So, I mean, we talked about the devices, the IoT and the data, they're all important, but would, would you say what any, any of them are, let's say the most important or, or most valuable moving forward? 
I think the data is the most valuable going forward, but I, I think that it, it goes, I mean, we've been on a journey as a business. So at the start, I think the hardware was more important because yeah. that was a differentiator and something that allowed us to get our foot in the door for, for customers and for project opportunities. But we just see that as a, you know, the first phase in a multi-phase growth journey where once we have devices that are in buildings collecting data, now it's about how do we create more value from that data yeah. and things like recommendations, better benchmarking, better predictive capabilities. So these are all things that we're working towards. Okay. I don't know much about smart buildings other than, let's say, residential-based. And as we know, as we observe, there's smart everywhere. And there's also lots of videos about, let's say, unsecured smart devices, which, I mean, is it, it is what it is. So I, I say like smart's actually quite hard to do in, in a secure environment. How do you ensure that that what you're doing with Amplitech, your data, is secure? And let's say how what's the additional work needed for that for that beyond the, these devices we, we we can find on Amazon or Lazada? Yeah. Or so I, I think so we do take security really seriously, and and I think this is part of our philosophy of being product owners. So a lot of times vulnerabilities happen when you integrate different products or, or when you're not fully aware of where that device came from, who produced it, what software it's running. So because we take a full stack approach of electronics, firmware, cloud, we have full control and visibility into what's happening with our system. And if you talk to any security person, they'll tell you security needs to be considered from the design stage because it's really difficult to kind of patch it up later. Okay. And, and we try to follow that process. And one of the things that we did a couple of years ago was we started a collaboration with Infineon Technologies to integrate some of their hardware security chips into our metering products. Okay. This was around 2019. We started a co-innovation program with them. And I think that was something that helped us to be a little bit ahead of the curve when it comes to where security is with IoT devices. Because now we're seeing more and more IoT products that are also incorporating physical hardware elements to store keys and enable different uh, remote attestation and, and different applications with that root of trust. But that's something that we try to be a little more forward-looking, I guess, and not just look at, oh, it's an extra dollar in the bomb cost or whatever it may be yeah. for, for designing a product. Okay, so just curious, again, I'm coming from a consumer perspective, but we have phones, we have our devices, our own devices, and typically I, I would say they, they're only secure for maybe three, four, okay, if you're on Android, maybe on Apple, five, six years, and then just kind of, you know, security's dropped off and you've got to get the new device to continue with security patches and all that. But you're, you're, you're putting your devices into buildings which I, sh I should hope they have a 10, 20 year life cycle. How, how do you deal with the unknown future of security for where your devices are going to be? Well, I think because we're, we're B2B as a company, so the majority of our projects are commercial and industrial buildings. And so this helps us deal with that, I guess, because for your average consumer device, you're, you're buying something online and then it's just kind of set and forget. But for these commercial projects, we do have a managed service component to the business model. So we are obtaining the software, we're updating it, we're patching it. So that helps us to ensure that it's secure over the life cycle. I think we also benefit a little bit from the, the way that our devices are installed because our products are actually installed in an electrical panel. It's in a way physically protected a little bit where if you wanted to open it up, you'd have to really open up the panel. And there's if you don't know what you're doing electrically, <laughs> it could be a little bit risky. So yeah. the environment is a bit different than your average kind of home IoT gateway or something like that. Okay. But then like in, let's say, if, 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 if I, as a potential customer of yours, let's say, what's going to happen in 15 years to these devices, what, what would you tell them? Or in, in terms of a security perspective? Yeah. Well, I think at some point there would be an end of life decision at maybe at 15 years or, or 10 years. But I think for the time being, as long as the devices are active, we do like vulnerability scans. We, we make sure that we update our software and 
it's just about managing your your infrastructure and, and checking against the latest vulnerabilities and threats. Okay. I assume that's, I want to say, full-time job or you've got... It's part, it's part of the engineering. A lot of resources to, to go into that. Yeah, it's just part of cleaning the system. So uh, when our engineers are optimizing the cloud, keeping things up to date, they'll also look at whatever the, the latest vulnerabilities are. You can do a scan and, and just check that you're not impacted by whatever the latest threat is. Okay. Um, so just uh, maybe a, a little bit more forward-looking in your technologies or install base. So you're kind of doing smart buildings now, but you, you talked a little bit, your background also is in smart grids or let's say future grids. And as we know, with more and more renewables coming online, it's going to be more and more important getting the energy mix right and matching the, the demands or the, you could say even second by second demand with, with the second by second supplies. How, how do you view the, the future of smart buildings from now? And even let's say beyond that smart infrastructure, beyond just, you know, buildings. Yeah, so I think that the the major trend that's happening now is sort of decentralization. And so historically, you have a, a small number of power plants, and then electricity is distributed in the grid. Now, with renewable energy, with batteries, with these, there's more and more more energy assets that are being pushed to the edge, the grid edge, so to yeah. speak. And so I think we're very much a player in in the grid edge space. But I think the caveat is that at the moment, what we do is they call it behind the meter. So we're, we're not really connecting our systems with a, a power grid level aggregator or agent to optimize the resources. So we're, we're just dealing with what's happening within that building or that factory. And I think in the future, when there's a little more maturity at the power grid level for orchestrating those assets, then we have an angle to open up an interface and maybe get involved with, with that. But it's a notoriously difficult space, to be honest, dealing with demand side management and demand response at a grid level because you you have to get involved with what are the local regulations in your particular market for that for the electricity market yeah. you have all kinds of permits and licensing and it's, it's usually really really tough to deal with utility companies in, in a regulated market like that and so our approach has been to try to focus on the end user at, and the grid edge and then we think at a certain point in time when the maturity is there we'll have a viable angle to get more involved in that space. Okay. So get, getting involved in more spaces, let's talk maybe a little bit about your, your business model, your, your partnerships. So we, we talked, or you, you shared, you, you make devices, you get the devices installed in buildings, and then you maintain the platforms and, and provide that, that data while also learning from the data that you collect. Are, are you guys like the hardware and then subscription services? How, how does that work when, when you're working on a, let's yeah. say on a new project or a new install yes. for your customer? Right. Our business model has three different parts to it. So there's the sale of the devices, which could be meters, routers, accessories. Then we have installation services, which not all of our customers need us to install the system, but some of them do. So that's a, another one-time revenue stream. And then we also have a subscription, which is based on how many devices are in a particular building. And so that subscription is for us to maintain the software, the network, and just sort of monitor and, and provide that support, in a sense, for the, the life of the project. Okay. And then, I mean, in terms of, let's say, actionable data for the asset owner, the building owner, or the long-term tenant, do, do you provide that or they kind of then search out their own trends and figure that out on their own? Yeah. So it, it really depends. Like we, we do have a software interface that customers can use to get alerts and, and kind of analyze their energy use. But a lot of our projects are larger kind of integrated solutions. So, and, and this is partly the way just that the, the industry works. Owners tend to want to have as few 
vendors as possible providing solutions. They want a okay. single point of contact that's going to do everything from air conditioning to lighting to water metering and whatnot. So we typically will partner with larger companies that are integrating different solutions, products, and delivering that kind of integrated system to the client. Okay. And so then they're using our devices, using our, our data API, and we're part of kind of a larger solution that's delivered for the property owner. Can you share like maybe a success story like before and after? How much how much energy savings, I guess? As, that also depends on then the action items of the asset owner. Yeah, yeah. So when we, there's a few things that we look at for client benefit. One is energy savings and one is reducing the time and the cost of actually implementing the system using like kind of a legacy meter. So usually we're able to save around 40% on the, the cost and the time to implement a system. So this, is, this makes us very attractive to those project delivery. Once the system is in, if you're looking at energy savings, obviously it depends a bit on the building and context, but generally you can save 5 to 10% just by adopting a monitoring system. And this enables the owner to detect waste and basically understand where they need to prioritize their investments. So the best example we have is we worked with a commercial developer to, to do an office space. And we were able to show them exactly when the lights and the air conditioning were left on in different meeting rooms in different zones of the building. And just by reporting this monthly in an email to the facility manager, they were able to get their staff to reduce the consumption by more than 10%. So it was a behavioral energy efficiency, but it was, it was purely just showing them, look, you guys are wasting hundreds of dollars a week on leaving things running, and you just need to pay attention in these particular departments. And you know, These are the culprits. Yeah, you don't even need to invest in automation or, or anything yeah. fancy. So then how, like, what type of granularity then do you, do, do you have? Because yeah, you mentioned like specific meeting rooms. Is that kind of the granularity? I mean, I guess it depends on the electrical circuiting yeah, back to the, yeah. where your device is. And the nice thing about our system is that it's modular. So we, we usually offer customers a menu. We can say, if you want a basic monitoring, it's this. If you want to go a little bit deeper, it's this. And so then they can choose according to what their budget is. But typically, we'll do kind of like a zonal monitoring. So that might, let's say on one floor of a, a commercial office building, there might be five to 10 metering points. And, and this would be sufficient to say, we're covering the lighting or the plug loads or the air conditioning for this particular tenant or this particular cost center. But if we want to go really, really granular, you can get 30, 40 meter points if you want to go down to the specific cluster of desks or the specific meeting room or the printers or the server room. So it's all very customizable, I okay. guess, according to the use case and the budget. Okay, so I mean, that's your, your current customers, mostly commercial real estate, office space, as well as industrial or light industry? Or yeah, so we, when we started, we were doing maybe more than 70% commercial real estate. That was office shopping. During the pandemic, we shifted more to look at residential, especially for new developments. And also in the last year or so, we focused more on industrial use cases. So for residential, we only sell to developers. So when there's a new condo being built, we'll work with whoever's providing other smart home systems. Yeah. They'll, in, they'll install our device as well. But that's a that's a good market, but it's a, it takes time for the project to actually be built. So yeah. I think this year we're going to see the first, the first project's TOP for that. Oh, brilliant. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. And then for industrial, that's a really high growth space that, yeah. we're, that we're seeing now, especially internationally. There's a lot of factories out there in the region that really don't have a lot of automation, instrumentation, and they need cost-effective solutions because if you're talking to a textile company in Indonesia or, or India, they're probably not going to be able to afford a Siemens or a, something really high end. So there's a need for more flexible, cost-effective solutions that can address this market. And we think we're in a great position to do that. Okay, so then let's let's talk maybe a little bit about your, your growth then in the region. 
I, I, I assume you, you've already gone international. How's that going? Yeah, so we we started to, to grow internationally pretty early through like distributors, resellers. So we, we've had users in about six countries in Southeast Asia. But if we look at the, the ones where we have the most activity, India is a market that we've been in for a few years. And we're going to be actually opening an office in Vietnam this year, which is going to be our first proper international presence because typically we go to local resellers and we don't have people on the ground. Yeah. But we're going to take a more hands-on approach in a couple of markets that we think are more strategic. So when, when you go to, to a new market or in the past, you, you have to recertify your devices for, for that country? How's that? Is it quite straightforward or a big barrier? Depends, depends on the jurisdiction. But yeah, in general, because we design our products for international regulations like IEC. So typically it's, it's more of a compliance exercise of submitting your test reports and the local authorities will review and then issue you kind of a piece of paper saying that it complies with the local regulations. But there are some countries where they need to do like physical siting of the equipment or the factory. And so yeah, it, it does present a barrier, I guess. Okay. What, what is IEC? It's something in French, I think. It's, okay. it's the European, basically, international standard from Europe for local and, and different kinds of standards. That's generally then accepted through, I guess, country by country, but Southeast Asia. Yeah, yeah. So on that. Like if you, if you look at a product and you see the CE mark, maybe you've seen this yeah, on CE. smart home devices. So yeah. CE is actually from the IEC standards. Okay. So anything that's CE compliant is based on those European IEC standards. So you're, you're opening up a Vietnam office. What can you share with us? What's going to happen there? So we have a, a new investor that has come on board that's based in Vietnam, and, and they're very excited to help us grow in the market and connect us with their network there in the energy and the real estate space. So we're going to be setting up our own kind of sales and perhaps a little bit of development presence in, in Ho Chi Minh City. And yeah, we're really looking forward to uh, kind of replicating what we've done in Singapore and, and connecting with similar types of companies in real estate and renewable energy. Okay. And then all the other countries so far, it's just been like, I mean, finding a local distributor, yeah. essentially. Find a local distributor, a local system integrator that wants to carry our product or support the installation. But then all the, let's say the, the, the backend data, data support is in those other countries still comes through your office in Singapore or is yeah. once in a new market, is that outsourced? Yeah. So today it's basically the installation part of it, like the, the business development and installation is done by our partners, but the software configuration and, and managing that is still done on our side. But yeah, we're we're looking as that as much as we can to be a little bit less hands-on for the distributors, which will allow us to be more widespread. Yeah. Okay, great. So speaking of, of widespread expansion, how do you how do you scale? I mean, let, let's say 10x, 100x, and then maybe even 1,000x because you are devices. You can start becoming quite ubiquitous. Yeah. So we have kind of a channel sales model. Each Generally, we're selling to vendors, right? Not Not necessarily to an end user. So it could be a company that is doing solar rooftops. It could be a company doing air conditioning equipment or building management systems. So I think the first lever that we have is, is growing the number of channel partners because each of those partners in turn has their own project pipeline and their own sales teams. The second one is working with our existing partners and helping them to grow their own sales funnel and, and just go from doing one or two projects to many more. And we've, we're seeing that happen now in Singapore where companies that we worked with in 2021 and 2022, they're now bringing us 10, 20x in terms of the, the size of opportunities. And then the last one is growing our deal size, our average deal size. So basically, as we get to be larger and more well-known, we can fight for larger opportunities, things like smart city projects, something that's yeah. not building scale, but really city scale and, and national kind of initiatives. So we're starting to see some of those opportunities coming in as well, which is really exciting. Okay. In Singapore and, and abroad? or uh, Largely in Singapore, but we've seen a few inquiries abroad as well. 
And then in terms of, let's say that that's kind of on the install side, what about, let's say on, on the data side, how, how do you try to extract more and more value out of that? Maybe for your existing customers, future customers, yeah. or even third party who maybe only want the data. Yeah. So we are, we have a, a new initiative that's around data monetization. Um, I can't really say much about it yet, okay. but we, we do have a separate kind of R&D activity going on right now, which is going to be more about how we use the data we already have and how we can monetize it in new ways. So that's something that we should be able to share more about maybe later this year. We look forward to, to hearing about that. That leads to my next section that, I mean, what's next for Amplitech? So we've already talked a little bit about, let's say, your, your immediate future. Where do you see the company in three years from now? So I think in, in the next three years, it's really going to be about international growth for us. So t today, more than 85% of our business is in Singapore. And the next three years are going to be very aggressive in terms of entering new markets, starting with Vietnam, and basically becoming a, a real multinational company and proving our products in a number of different markets. So it'll be a busy three years for sure. Um, I think after 10 years, what I hope is that we will be seen as on the international stage, I, I want Amplitech to be known as a great kind of digital industrial company in Southeast Asia. So Europe has these great legacy businesses from the early 20th century that are just dominant in, in their industries. And I hope that we can be part of a new generation of global technology companies that are known as coming from Singapore and Southeast Asia and recognized as a high quality brand. Okay, that's brilliant. Yeah, the, the branding and the, the foundation from Southeast Asia and yeah, knowing that we can build great companies internationally recognized, maybe not even ASEAN, but yeah, like, like you said, truly through, global. Throughout, throughout the world and, and compete maybe on the home turf in, in the US with the Honeywell I or hope in, so. in Europe. Yeah, with, that's, that's yeah. the dream. Okay, so then let's say that, so that, that's the dream, that, that's the long-term goal. And we've talked a little bit about your, your short-term goals, but ultimately, I mean, that's, that's the targets, but how, how would you, you know, sometimes you hit them, sometimes you exceed them, sometimes you might not, not reach that, but it's how, but ultimately you, you're, you want success for you, your team, for Amplitech. How will you define that over the coming years? Yeah, so we, we look at kind of two sides of that. So the first one is obviously financial in terms of growing your revenue, reaching profitability, the things you need to do to be a sustainable business. But the other part of it is the impact side of the business where we are working in kind of a sustainability industry, right? Energy efficiency, yeah. smart buildings. Some people call it climate tech now. And so every project we do has an impact on making the world more sustainable. And I hope that we'll continue to make more and more of an impact in different factories and different businesses and contribute to reducing that 40% of CO2 that comes from the built environment. And I think it would be really cool if we can be involved in some really kind of signature, large smart city type of projects that become iconic examples of what can be done if you incorporate the, the latest and greatest in sustainable energy and energy management and all kinds of green products and services. Okay, that's that's great. Absolutely key that, that, that we need because there's, as, as you know, maybe more than all of us, there's, there's a lot of waste, a lot of waste going out there. You're about eight years in, into your founding story, building up this technology company, devices, monitoring, IoT, and then now data as well. What lessons would you tell yourself um, as you were beginning that, that, that you've learned over these last eight plus years of, of this journey building Amplitech? I think I think the first one would, would just be, you, you need to go in with your eyes open in the sense that it's going to be a long journey and it's going to be a challenging one. And I think when I was younger, I thought, okay, startups are hard. Okay, whatever. I've done hard things in school. I've done hard things, whatever. But I think it's a different kind of journey and it's a different kind of challenge than maybe a lot of people think going in. So 
you're going to need to learn a lot of new skills, you know, how to fundraise, you know, sales, you know, managing people, teams. And you always have to be comfortable with uncertainty, I guess, because when you're when you're building a company from nothing, you have to invent everything, right? Your internal yeah. processes, your I mean, so you, you're constantly having to face new challenges that you don't necessarily know how to deal with from your past experience. And so you have to be comfortable in that environment. And yeah, and other than that, you you need to be mindful that it is going to take a little while and you shouldn't burn yourself out. So in the early years, like I would I would put in really, really long hours sometimes. And if you burn out in like year three, you're you're not going to achieve anything great. So at a certain point, you have to realize it's a marathon, not a sprint. And yeah. you have to have the right team that can really help you go the distance. OK, so pacing. Yeah, pacing, pa pacing and just having a strong enough team around you that you don't have to feel like you're doing everything and because at the end of the day it's not going to be sustainable okay so you like you mentioned at the beginning you're, you're originally from the u.s been in singapore now for a decade plus what, what would you tell people maybe in the u.s market or u.s young researchers who may be looking at asean or looking at singapore what would you tell them about coming over here i think it was one of the best decisions i ever made i i, I didn't really know what it was going to be when i came out here and there's just so much opportunity, I think, happening in, in Singapore and in Southeast Asia. And, you know, I, to me, this is the place to be for the next 10, 20 years. North America, Europe, they're more mature markets. There's a lot more incremental change and, and kind of bureaucracy and, and things that hold you back when you have a more mature kind of ecosystem. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of really exciting opportunities here to build new things and implement them quickly just because of the nature of emerging markets in Southeast Asia. Okay, thanks. Now, so, so you, you were at A Start Central, then maybe that, that, that's how I got the connection to you to, to come join us on this podcast originally. Then, so, I mean, at, at Block 79 at One North area, but now you, you've moved out to your own real estate. What would you tell people kind of still in the incubation real estate in Singapore about going out and, and finding your own space, kind of maturing from startup phase, incubation space to, yeah, just general real estate in Singapore? Mm, okay, I think, so it's, it's definitely a nice feeling to have your own space as a company you feel like in a way that's one of the milestones but honestly for for a lot of people that are starting out I, I would recommend that you not do that because we actually spend about four years working in co-working spaces like flexible kind of serviced office spaces because real estate is expensive and it's a long-term time commitment so i think companies that are just starting out should be wary of committing too much money and too much term for a space if you don't yeah. know that you're going to need it so for us, after going through those early years, we finally felt like we have enough of a stable revenue stream and we know that we need to store our inventory and support our testing. So at a certain point, you just need to get a bigger space and, and we reached that point. But I, I do not recommend that brand new companies or one, two-year-old companies just splurge and, and get a expensive office space. So how long did you just delay this decision to go get your new space or it just became obvious and, and you did it? Or was it like, yeah. you know, 18 months to, to kind of push, 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 and then, okay, absolutely, we need it. Well, we, we actually knew we needed a new space even during the pandemic, but we were, just because of everything shifted to work from home, yeah. we, we were able to effectively transform our old space into basically like a storage <laughs> storage unit, like it was not really usable for people for the most part. But once things started to open up again, it was clear that we needed to get a bigger space to just support where we were as a business. Okay. Thanks. So just to wrap up, anything else you want, you want to share about Ampotech? Yeah, I think we're we're one of the the sustainability and and climate tech companies in Singapore, and we're we're always looking for new strategic partners, new investors, customers, or partners who can help us grow internationally. So if you're interested, please reach out to me. 
you're welcome to contact me on LinkedIn. You can follow our company uh, on, on LinkedIn and Twitter, or you can check out our website as well. Okay, great. Well, thanks. Thanks, Will, for, for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And with that, thanks for listening. Please hit like and subscribe wherever you are getting your podcasts. Thanks for joining us for our launch series. And be sure to look out for future episodes as we explore the intersection of science, technology, and business in the growing Singapore deep tech scene together.